nice hat, man. Thanks. Raptors, baby. Raptors. I don't think I've ever seen you wear a hat before. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it controls the hair. <laughs> your hair's good, though. Your hair kind of reminds me of um, a Yakuza member. Oh, shit. Yeah? <laughs> Especially, like, when you have it kind of flailing when we were playing soccer on Saturdays. Like, I've, I've seen it kind of flail, like, everywhere, and I'm like, ooh, that's a oh, Yakuza shot right there. I should do, like, a ponytail next time. Yeah. No, let, just let it play out. Fuck, don't, really? Don't do it. Yeah, just live it out. It goes all over, though. It's crazy. It hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Legit Cool Podcast Where we review, recap uh, And what else? We review and recap movies and TV series <laughs> um, Today's a TV series We're back on the Lord of the Rings uh, Spinoff, is that what you call it? Lord yeah, of the Rings prequel, spin-off. prequel baby Spinoff, prequel <laughs> You know, that's That seems to be the trend nowadays Oh, no, not, not nowadays Like, I don't know, the last 10 years has been a trend Prequel, oh, spinoffs yeah but then again, I love a prequel, so I can't even fault them. I, they get my money every time. Prequels can be good. Um, I mean, the best prequel ever. But I don't know, maybe not ever. But one of the greatest prequels ever made, and it's actually my favorite out of the entire saga. Phantom Menace, right? you got to say Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you guessed me right. Episode one, Phantom Menace. No, um, out of the entire saga, and this is controversial, but you're on the, you're on the right track. It's Star Wars. I'm oh, going to say Rogue One. Oh yeah, that was good. Okay, was one no, greatest that was prequel great. ever made. I mean, it's oh. not really a prequel, but you know what I mean. It's like it's it's a spinoff. It's a bit of a prequel to Episode Four. Um, but fantastic, fantastic, amazing movie. I think it's actually the best Star Wars property so far. So you'd say that you'd say that over like things like Joker is a kind of a prequel, right? Uh, hmm. I still think Rogue One is better, so I don't even know why I'm raising it, but I'm just trying to think of all the other prequels out there. Joker's. You mean Joker with Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. I guess that's a prequel, technically, technically. not a prequel. No, no, no. Come technically, on. it's not, because it has to precede a film within its within the same world, which it doesn't. It doesn't precede any Batman film. It does, in a way. Like, Joker is a character that exists in other Batman films, and you're finding out how Joker is Joker. The character Joker, yes. Like, in, in regards to. Bruce Wayne, absolutely, but it, it's not a part of like a, um, a, a a set of films, or it's not a part of like a um, chronicle, a film chronicle. If that makes sense. Ooh, I, I, I don't know if we've got time to argue this, but I feel like yeah, like if the mean, character there's, no, just... there's no film that exists bef- like after the Joker film. You, film. You can say the Jack Nicholson version, but that's not the version we're talking about. Yeah, but you can choose any of the versions. You can choose the Jared Leto version. Okay. They're all up for grabs as, like, what happens after um, Joker. But anyway, yeah, okay, it's not important. I, I feel like you're making up your own prequel rules. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's a character... It's, it's, it's the uh, origin story <laughs> of a character that exists in a later state elsewhere. Thus, it's a prequel to all mm. those universes, right? Mm. Uh, okay, I'm not, I, still, I'm not I, I still stand by my word. It's uh, it's not really a prequel, but I understand what you're saying. The character, his story, Joaquin Phoenix's version, comes before the Batman story. Yes. Yes. All right. Cool. No, you're <laughs> right. I think Rogue One is fantastic. I agree with that. Rogue One is the best. But speaking of prequels and spinoffs, we're doing the Lord of the Rings spinoff slash prequel, Rings of Power, season one. Episode four. Four. <laughs> I feel like we've spoken so much about Rings of Power and we still haven't really got to a point where we're like, yeah, the Rings of Power is a great series. No, but I always say it every time. Great series, man. Great series. <laughs> you know what actually is funny, though? Um, when I realized, like literally three minutes ago, that there are eight total, it made my love for this episode drop considerably mm. I, I like when i finished watching this episode i was like yeah that's pretty cool and then like i'm like there's only eight this is awful <laughs> so, i think we're fairly out. i think our criticisms are cri- our criticisms i think they're pretty fair don't you think ah, i mean it's our opinion so i guess sure mm-hmm. but you know we're, we're we're pretty analytical with our opinions in my yeah. opinion <laughs> i think we're we analyze it enough, you know, I think we go into enough detail, and we... Oh, people would argue too much detail. Yeah, true, <laughs> true, true, but uh, the listeners are here to uh, hear what our detailed opinions are. Like, how do we justify our opinion is kind of the key, 
And, you know, this is probably a good uh, segue into me explaining to any fresh listeners to the podcast is that you're here because we recap and we review TV series and movies on a very detailed level as a way to sort of justify, even though we're not here to prove any justification for our opinion for a movie and a TV series. But it's just our expression of like how much we love this medium, film and television. That's a good way of putting it, right? Just dudes being bros. Just dudes being bros. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to go see that movie, bros? I heard it did awful in the uh, <clears throat> box office. So I kind of want to help it out, I guess. Why? <laughs> because it's been awful and like it was like a monumental thing and all like i don't know i feel like uh, it needs i help. mean by by that logic you should be helping out a lot of horror films which do terrible in box office but you're not gonna go and see a horror film are you not a horror film but actually you know what um a, a movie that i did do for that reason was everything everywhere all at once and i freaking loved that movie that was great yeah sure but but the difference is that that movie is amazing yeah, but like, great. It, that was a movie that I watched. I'm like, oh, you know what? There's an Asian in it. It's kind of Asian, ran. I'm Asian. I'm going to just watch it, right? <laughs> and like, I want to help him out. But it was fantastic. I wouldn't do it for mm. a horror movie because that's going to give me nightmares. But I'm just saying, I'm one for one on watching movies for that reason being good. Mm-hmm. But you have, you have conditions to that. I see. I see. Horrors out of it. <laughs> There's a reason why no one wants to watch that stuff, man. <sighs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'll go see this horror movie by myself. Smile. It's freaky. Out from um. Oh, I just need to line this up. Anyway, um, we're here to review and recap the episode four of Rings of Power, which is called Great Wave. I don't know if we need to go into what the end of episode three was. I think we can just jump straight into Let's episode four. We're going to try and keep this slim. We're going to try. We'll and get try it and keep forty minutes. Slim. 40. That's our goal. Thir- thir- 38 minutes, actually. Oof. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So the beginning of the episode, it starts off with Queen Muriel, uh, who has a vision of the downfall of Numenor and summons Galadriel to court. Now, this vision that she has, which is, I, I think I was calling it a premonition, right? Yeah. That's pretty accurate. Um, I mean, I-, I guess the definition of a premonition is really something that you see prior to it happening. When it's factual that it is going to happen, right? That's what a premonition is. Well, she at least believes it's a premonition, yeah. But I guess this is more like I have a vision of what Numenor is going through, and it's more speculatory, wouldn't you say? Well, she believes it's a premonition. I think that's probably good enough for us, right? Right. She's the queen. But, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's no proof that it's going to happen. Mm. Mm. Whereas a premonition is almost like there is proof. To, to it, some kind of weird, weird it kind of can't <laughs> though, right? Like, presumably, like you know, you're seeing a vision of the future. They can't really be proof. Well, unless you're Doctor Strange, does he? Because I haven't seen the second movie yet. What? Oh no! But you've seen Endgame. Oh right, yeah. But I mean, he's seen a million things, right? They can't all be true. He had no proof that either any one of those million uh, things was going to come true. Well, that's part of him being a. Um... Uh, Master of the Mystic Arts, is that <clears throat> all of them can be true? Like yeah, he saw all those different outcomes, and the only uh, the only outcome that could happen is the one that he takes control of, which is w- the reason why he ends up letting Tony Stark. Yeah, or sorry, not Tony Stark. There's the reason why he ends up letting everybody else die and perish to eventually come back, and then for Tony Stark to eventually sacrifice himself. Yeah, no, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that like they're all technically factual, right? Like all the premonitions are. Like there's, there's no way to say this this one will definitely happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a bunch of ways where it definitely won't happen if uh, Iron Man dies. Mm-hmm. So I guess in this case of um, the Great Wave, it's yet to be proven that it's going to happen, which is this big tsunami that happens out of nowhere. By the way, tsunamis I'm pretty sure has to be open ocean, like you know, away from a. Like, tsunamis aren't technically possible in, like, a, what do you call it? Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like <laughs> I'm, trying a to, I'm trying to say waterfront, but no. Closed off body um, of water or something like that? Or? Yeah, you know, like, cities, for example, here in Sydney, like, it's impossible for us to have a, a tsunami. Why? Because we're a harbour. Harbour, that's what I'm trying to say, harbour. Like, in harbours, you can't have tsunamis when they're narrow you know because there's just not enough volume in order for like a, a tsunami to happen 
So what would the other side of the maybe, Opera maybe, House could that get maybe, Yeah, maybe Sydney's, maybe Sydney's not the greatest example because I think the harbour is quite wide. <laughs> yeah. But let's say like from where I'm originally from, which is Wellington, it's impossible to have a tsunami there because it's a closed off harbour. Oh, nature facts. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm an expert on these things. Apparently. Yeah, you know your way around uh, a tsunami. Wait, yeah. what's the what's the word for it then? Like a big old wave? Or you think like, it just cannot happen? Well, I, I guess like more to the point of this episode, the reason why it's called the Great Wave is they're probably factually incorrect or scientifically incorrect if they call it tsunami. Oh, damn. Okay, so they're like... They're, I don't know. They're, they're I, think I think I'm just right. like touting too much. I'm just feeling like maybe the Great Wave, you know, it sounds cooler than tsunami. It sounds cooler right? than tsunami, yeah, yeah, for sure. I just cracked open a beer, so Oh, cheers. yeah. Nice. Cheers. I got... Nothing. I got a cup, but it's got nothing. What is that cup? It's a country women's association. Hundred years, they make the best scones in uh, Easter show. So, shout out cult that you're a part of, or yeah, it's like just old women making scones, charging a lot for them, but they're delicious. You're part of a woman making woman making a scone making uh, cult. Hey man, if they taught me the recipe, I would join. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Anyway, so while in court, Galadriel attempts to secure Muriel's backing and intervene in the Southlands against the forces of Sauron. But Muriel rebuffs her and imprisons her. Um, Isildur, okay, but actually before we get into that part, let's just talk briefly about this whole opening scene. The opening scene is um, the big great wave, a.k.a. tsunami. That's not really a tsunami. Yeah, It's a premonition. It's a vision that Muriel has. What do you kind of make of with Muriel at this point? Well, I just think, one, it's like, quite a gorgeous scene. I feel like we have to always comment on that, right? It's, that looks fantastic. Yeah, visually it was quite good. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, from her, I mean, she, you know what she's giving me? This is the thing that didn't hit me right at the time, but she's giving me, um, remember that evil king in Return of the King who's, like, driven by um, fear of his son dying? Yeah, um... Denethor, uh, maybe I don't know. Something. No, no, Farim, no. Uh, not Faramir. Faramir is the son. Faramir is the son. Yeah. Oh wait, are you talking about the king in Minas Tirith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And You're not talking about the king that was possessed by. No, not Saruman. that one. The one oh, who's okay. just like sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sad, depressed king who who only wants who only favoritizes like Far. Oh, sorry, Boromir. Yeah. Um, but then finds out that Boromir is supposedly dead, but he's not dead, and then. Oh, no, Boromir is well dead. Faramir is the one who's dead but not dead. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Right. But, um, but, he, yeah. but she kind of reminds she gives well, you that she's kind driv- of vibe. She's driven by fear of things that are kind of mystical slash um, potentially not real. And that drives, I mean, spoiler for the end of the episode, it like drives a pretty big decision from her, right? True. Yeah. It does. Like, you know, she's just having dreams, really. <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of the first. Um, this is like the first uh, piece, like interesting thing that we get from the character is that she gets a vision. <clears throat> this whole true. time, she's just we've all we've only learned that she's kind of regal. She's she's got like a stick up her ass, you know what I mean? Like she's got that kind of whole royal thing going down. That's yeah. the only thing that we know about her, and that's and nothing really interesting. And then they present this idea that she has visions or a premonition of a wave. One thing that's heading. like kind of interesting here um and maybe we're, i'm going to jump ahead in the episode a little bit like this episode does like a a good well not a good job it does a job of like answering a lot of the mysterious things that were sort of sort of uh let laid out in the early episodes like for example mm. she's like mysteriously talking about you know um her dad and how no one can see him. And then you find out later that he's just old and weak and she doesn't want people to see him being old and weak. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the reason why I brought that up is because like this episode, I think tries to show her off as a, uh, you know, loving ruler cares about her people, wants the best for them, letting fear drive a lot of her decision-making. She thinks like an elf coming is going to be a bad omen for the gods who are going to take mm-hmm. their place away. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to sort of finish that point, this episode is kind of funny in the sense that it answers a lot of those mysterious questions and they generally answers them in ways that are uninspiring and not very exciting. Like (laughs) she was like secretly, you know, keeping her dad in a tower so that no one can see him. And then you find out, ah, she's just nice. It's like, Oh, cool. That's kind of depressing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she, she's not very proud of like showing her father the way he is. Which by the way, sorry, you go. 
I was just gonna say, like, if she was evil, that would have been cooler. Like, the fact that she's just a nice person who's, you know, uh, you just she, she's like being seen wrong. I just felt like that was kind of an un- underwhelming. She's kind of disguising outcome. herself, I guess, in a way, disguising herself from maybe the shame that she has about her father. Yeah, it's um, totally fine, but I just think it's an underwhelming outcome to something that was kind of cool and mysterious in previous episodes. Yeah. It happened. It's a it's a bit of a theme in this episode. Like you find out, oh, what what are they mining in the in the um, mines? Oh, it's mithril. Cool. Like it it's kind of hinted like this is like this is going to change the world, and it's kind <laughs> of like not. And those yeah. two were like very big mysterious things that they just kind of said, oh yeah, here's the answer, and it's kind of nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I get that, but I guess like it, like that's why. There's something that's a little bit more interesting about her, even though it's like not a game changer. Is that she gets these visions, and now that the is question cool. is like, now the question is, what does the character do with these visions? And there is an attempt to make steps towards that vision, I guess, and it's kind of prompted in a way that it directs kind of the rest of the episode, right? Yeah, that's even true. though it, even though we sort of take a few side steps here and there to look at subplots and all that kind of stuff, like the Mithril subplot, for example. <clears throat> Which is a cool little reveal. I was actually, I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead. I won't talk too much about it because we'll get to that part of the episode. But I was kind of underwhelmed, like, the way they say that it's mithril. Like, yeah. it's cool that it's mithril. But yeah. I think the way that they they shot and directed the scene, I was like, really? Yeah. Did you tell us? You know what I mean? Like, it seemed kind of like, a, oh, it's... It's like, there's, not a lo- like, there's a lot of these threads that they're placing around everywhere. And I gave them the benefit of the doubt because they were moving very slowly thinking, mm. okay, when they resolve these threads, it's going to be very exciting. And mm. they just have done it in very underwhelming ways. Yeah. Yeah. So we we have that little bit, right? Oh, um, actually, one thing I do want to point out here um, right. before I move on, I should apologize to Galadriel. So I've hated her this entire show because she's terrible. And you telling me you like her now? I'm realizing that the fact that she's awful at diplomacy and is just one track minded and is super, super aggressive, that's just a part of her character and it serves a purpose. I thought she was just written badly. I still think she's a terrible character, but <laughs> like, like she is, but she's now got flaws. Like she's like a, yeah. a war person who's crap at everything else. And everyone sort of acknowledges it. I, kind well, of- I mean, I think I, I think she's had flaws throughout the episodes. You know, we've we've seen like some of the flaws, I guess. Like you know, for the fact that she's she doesn't have a very good temper, to her, right? Yeah. She doesn't have a very good like set of management skills around her temper. Awful management skills. Awful. Like she's she's not very good at diplomacy at all. Yeah. Like like she's not very good at um like communicating like what she's really after like effectively so that she can she can have people on her side. Like she's trying to fight this battle, which we all believe that is super evil mm. but she's not doing a very good job at getting people on her side you know, she's yeah. terrible at it and i thought that like it was just kind of because the thing is when you meet her she jumps off a sword to like one shot a troll so mm. she she gets introduced in a way that you think she's very capable and then you find out that she's also very weird and does a lot of dumb stuff and i, I that was kind of jarring to me but to find out that that's actually part of it and intended made me go oh okay there's a purpose to this. I, I still think she, she I, I still get the impression that she's kind of a dumb person. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, but that's I, I, intended. I and that's like disappointing. When you think about Galadriel, like she, she doesn't come to mind when I think about Galadriel. I mean, she only comes to mind now because we're watching and reviewing the series. But when I think about Galadriel, like I can only really think about Kate Blanchett. Now the challenge is uh, how do you not maybe get us to forget about Galadriel, uh, uh, Kate Blanchett, but instead just give us a, some kind of duality. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like yeah. duality yeah. to say that we respect both actors and we respect that both of them are doing a great job. But at the moment, I just don't think she's like doing a great job. The thing is though, is like there's conceivably like thousands of years between these two sure. interpretations of the character, right? So you could assume mm. she becomes much wiser after the events of this episode, or episode yeah. series. It just seems like that's a huge leap. <laughs> hey, thousands I mean? of years, dude. We change Man, like what? I feel five? like she needs like millions of years. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <clears throat> but yeah, just wanted to point that out. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm not a fan, cool. but like, that's I don't cool. hate that's her cool. as much anymore. I'm glad that one of us likes her. <laughs> Okay, so Muriel rebuffs um, her and imprisons her again. So, so she basically 
gives a chance to uh, Galadriel to come out and maybe say her piece, like so she can share her vision a little bit. Um, and then I guess she's not really that convinced, so she imprisons her again. Isildur, Valendir, Valendil, and Ontamo are dismissed from the Sea Cadets. Um, so this is kind of a bit of a jump back to and a touch up on what's happening with the Isildur story um, and his like boatmen. What do you, well, I guess they're called Sea Cadets? Mates. Sea mates. Yeah, semen. I, I didn't. I don't even know what their names are. You know, that's crazy. Like, I, I'm learning their names here. Yeah, I never knew. I don't think. Do we? It's not super important, but learn, essentially, yeah. super selfish. Tried to get mm-hmm. himself kicked out so that he could go to the other side with his brother. Yeah. Um, it just seems like yeah, dumb kid doing dumb stuff, but he's kind of mm. heroic. And the thing that pisses me off about this is that like after he does it. He ruins everyone's lives so that he can go to this other cliff on other other side of Numenor, mm-hmm. and then he's like, oh, "I got kicked out. I don't deserve to go." It's like, come on, man! You do the like. You might as well do the thing you did it for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Um, there's also the scene that I want to mention because I have it here in the background. I also want to mention the scene. It's not a part of our notes, but it's the scene that happens directly after the Galadriel and Muriel scene. It's when the king, what's his name? Halbrand? <clears throat> or the not Halbrand. King? No, the, uh, is he a king? Not sure. Who you talking about? The guy with the beard? The guy with the beard, yeah. Uh, Farazon. <clears throat> He's like her number two, I think. The queen's number, number two. two. <laughs> Uh, let me look at his name. Oh wait, we don't have the uh, the speech in this thing. Um, we yeah, we don't have the speech in this, and this is the scene that I was going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, what's the name? Farazon. Is it? Yeah, I know my Farazons. <laughs> you know your Farazons. Yeah. Tristan Gravel, Gravel, Gravel. I thought it was Russell Brand. You know that. <laughs> you thought that was Russell Brand. <laughs> Got a brandish quality to him. Got like a multicolored really? beard. Multicolored beard. Got a bit of long face. I don't know. I know I it wasn't. Way off there. I know. I think. It, I know it wasn't. It just kind of. He was brandish. Yeah. Okay, anyway, sure. what about what about what about? Friday anyway, Club? so so you know the scene where he's walking through the market and stuff with the other dude that's by his side. The I think son. it's a guy called. Um, oh yeah, the son. He's walking by his side. He's telling him about. Um, <clears throat> He's talking about some kind of, is it like a mission or something? Um, no, isn't the son uh, telling him, or isn't the dad telling him like, oh, you know, you've got to be way smarter so that, mm. you know, they're talking metaphors and the son's like, oh, hey, there's a, there's a riot going on. You better go do something. Yeah. So, so the riot's sort of based upon like that dude that was in the kerfuffle, you know, in sort of a scrap with um, Haldrake. Um, he sort of makes this like town announcement to the citizens saying that um, if we don't do something now, the elves are going to take over. And these elves are the very people that can live forever. They can, they're all eternal. They stay young. Um, they're strong, all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm. <clears throat> and he's trying to get the town to stand up for them potentially getting overrun by the elves again. Yeah. And then the king, or the second in charge, I guess, according to you. <laughs> yeah, he ain't the king. Um, He's not married to her. <laughs> yeah, true. So he, he, he interrupts and he says um, something along the lines of, like, you need to remember that our bloodline or, you know, our ancestors fought hard for for the city and we are the way we are because of our ancestors and how much they're, like, you so, know, they're, they're all warriors and all that kind of stuff. And so, we, in, a, in other words, like, we can stand up for ourselves. We don't need to, like be i don't know like discouraged or um not have any confidence around standing for ourselves yeah it was kind of funny like i thought he was going to be like you know no you know you're being super racist don't be super racist you know he he leans into it like he's like <laughs> yeah you we, you reckon one elf is going to do anything to us we're so tough we're numenorians mm. but i mean exactly. he gets them to chill <clears throat> he gets he, them to chill yeah, yeah yeah but he doesn't like he doesn't actually rebuff their views. He kind of like accepts their views and says, "Yeah, you're right." <laughs> Look at you are terrible. using the word rebuff. <laughs> hey, got a, I got a uh, thesaurus right here. That's that's our word of the podcast is uh, rebuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it's no longer a reverb or a, a revision. I don't know rebuff. <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you want to say about that scene? No, that, that's all I wanted to mention. Is that that whole scene? It just seemed like because I remember when I. When we were talking about well, when we were watching it, I was saying like this 
this whole scene where he's walking through the market and talking to his son, I just feel kind of bored by the scene. And then, and then it sort of merges into him doing this big kind of town announcement to interrupt the other guy who's like potentially creating a ruckus. And I, I just thought it was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, <clears throat> it seems kind of strange that you're just like the flow from going from like walking and talking to one person and then merging into like a big speech in the crowd mm. just seemed kind of weird. That was weird. And you know what's actually interesting? The In this episode also, there is the uh, Isildur sister romance subplot. Mm-hmm. There is not a lot of subplots I care about less. Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah the the attempt to, for a love story between the girl, right? Like the, and the sister, son. Right? yeah, the sister, sister and the son. son. Oh, it's really man. weak, and, and it's care. it's one of those kind of it's one of those things like in a, in a TV series. You're always gonna like sprinkle all sorts of love story plots, you know, love story love, uh, subplots, and I think a lot of them are just. I always think about. TV series in the past that I've seen um, where they've attempted to do love stories with like sub characters, you know, we're talking about secondary and third characters, but, but yeah, that's what I mean is like, there's so many TV series that always attempt to do sub uh, love plots, (laughs) uh, love subplots with secondary and third and even fourth characters. Right. And I think a lot of writers just like to test the ground to see if anything kind of picks up. I think that's right. just kind of a TV series thing to do um, because they're just trying to test to see what, what stories work and and they can afford to do stuff like that because these characters are kind of disposable, right? Like, for yeah. example, these characters, they could fire in the next week if they really wanted to, but they couldn't do that with the main cast because the main cast is like your main cast, right? But that's what makes, like, if there's a romance in the main cast, yeah, like, you might be invested. Like, this, this romance is just, like, there's no stakes. I don't care. It's so cookie-cutter as well. He shows up. It's so hey, cliched. Yeah. Are you cool? And she's like, oh, I've got to go do this thing. And then he helps <laughs> her with some task, and then she goes and has dinner with him, and she's like, oh, he's so nice. It's just awful. <laughs> it's awful. Awful, awful love-making shit. <clears throat> All right, so uh, we jump to Aaron Deer. Aaron Deer is held captive by... Adar and his orcs is released to deliver an ultimatum to the Southlanders taking refuge in Ostirith. Um <clears throat> So let's talk a bit about this. This is the first um, scene that we get with Adar. One of the first scene, but like one of the, no, one of the, the key scenes. I reckon it's the first oh, scene. Oh, no, it's the first scene. Yeah, sorry. Adar was like revealed at the end. Yeah. I totally forgot. Um, first scene that we get, in, and I just want to. Let, let, let me start with my impression of this Adar character. And you, you know, like, my thoughts and impression about this character. I thought this is, like, the best character interaction we've had so far. Because the way he is introduced into the scene, it's, it's like, it's dark. It's a little dull. You know, there's a lot of, like, muted colors, which kind of creates that tone. The tone and the feeling that you're wanting the audience to be drawn into, which it's it's dark and it's, like, it's evil. Like, evil is in amongst us kind of thing. And the emotion that he portrays in the character is something that I didn't expect to happen. Mm. Cause for a character that they've been building off, like since the last episode, maybe even just the last second, one, I think no, just no. the last one, right? Yeah. You only hear that. Yeah. Character that they've been building up is like, he's the building him up to be this like super evil dude. But then when he rocks up, the first thing, the first uh, scene that we get with him is like he's reacting to a death of one of the orcs, mm. and this is like the first time that we've ever seen orcs. I guess he's not fully orc. I don't know what he is. We're still yet to find out what he fully is. He he's clearly he clearly was an elf, but if anything, if he is an orc, this is the first time that we've ever had any kind of humanization with an orc. Yeah, because he shows sorrow. He shows uh, loss. With the orc that was stabbed. Well, there's a vulnerability in that orc as well, right? Like, that orc is looking at Adar like, oh, you're my dad. Like, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. It really humanizes exactly. that entire race. It's, it it, it did does. a really good job in a short amount of time. Really good job. And this whole that whole scene between him and the orc dying, it's like, I don't know, two minutes maybe? Or maybe yeah. even less than two minutes, Not like even. a minute and a half. But it felt, it felt lengthy and well-earned considering the performance that they were both doing. So I was like... Wow, <laughs> wasn't expecting to have like humanized orcs, and I think they've done a really great job with it. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes as a character, how well he develops, mm. and we also don't really know what his real intentions are, right? Um, when he's kind of 
giving um, Arendir, or he's letting Arendir off the hook, essentially. And the thing is, I like about him though is, and this is something that like a lot of good uh, shows do is they gave him, um, Adar that is, a mm. a motivation that is beyond like you know so, some people just want to like have a ton of money, some people want to take over the world for no real reason. He's like saying the everyone's been told a bunch of lies, the world isn't true, and in order to sort of flush this away, I need to sort of build a new world. And I don't know, it's something that you can sort of see a guy be passionate about. You can sort of see him being the protagonist of his own story. And I just kind of like villains that have that kind of pull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It creates more layers with him. Yeah, know? for sure. I, I'll, I'll watch a show about Adar. But at this stage, it's like, yeah, he's a villain, but I'm not really quite sure. But by the end of the episode, it's like, I don't... Well, even at the end of the scene, when he has this piece of dialogue with Arendir, and Arendir's like trying to question him, like, who are you? Where do you come from? You know, he has yeah. that kind of back and forth. He's like, where do you come from? And he knows a lot about <clears throat> elf stuff. Well, because he clearly is an elf. Yeah. Like, he's just fallen. He's like he's like Gabriel the Archangel where he falls. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's just, he has this kind of stoicism to him that's like mystique, mysterious, um, and interesting. And I think it's like the most interesting character, for me at least, yeah, <laughs> in the series. Sure. I think so. So yeah, it's it's great. It's a great little scene between him and Arendir. So there's, they have a little bit of a chat, a little bit of dialogue, um, and then he basically lets him off the leash and he says, "I want you to take this message to the Southlands, mm. right? Take this message to the Southlands and let them know that something is coming." No, it's uh, give up your lands and join me, or die. oh right, or jo- yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's like an, it's a massive ultimatum. Yeah, or take refuge. Yeah. Um, Pretty much, like get yeah, join or die. Forsake their claims to the Southlands and swear fealty to him, or Ostidiath will be Adar's next target. Um, <clears throat> yeah, was there anything else you want to say about this introduction to a character? Nah, I think you covered it pretty well. It was great. Nice, nice. Uh, so then we cut to Theo and Rowan, who are sent from the Ostidiath to record food. Record, recover food yeah. from Wadrug's root cellar, but the orcs discover Theo and his sword, forcing Theo to hide in while as the orcs search for him and his sword. Um, I always keep forgetting that the kid is Theo, <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, 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 because you know, this, you know, I think we're both the same, we don't really like the, the, the kid character. Oh, I hate this kid, and like he's like the worst character in the show. This is one of those scenes. Uh, he just sort of floats between a tough guy and a scared guy, like very often. So he's like characterized. Yeah, there's like no, there's weird. no consistency in the character. Yeah, like in in this scene, and I'm going to jump around a little bit. Like he's like, oh, you know, if you want to go back, I don't know what he says, but it's like he's acting tough to the other skinny kid to force him mm. to come do this job. And then mm. later on, when he's talking to like the secret. Um, Sauron loving old barkeep guy he's like a super <laughs> scared little kid and I'm just thinking like, mm. what are you um, but realistically in this scene I think they do a reasonable good job of like making you feel worried about the orcs chasing him and I think mm-hmm. sort of jumping ahead as he's trying to make his injured getaway I thought that was like pretty well shot like you kind of mm-hmm. you're super close to him you felt all the orcs around that was kind of cool um, the hiding was terrible <laughs> You were making points of that. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> See, this is the worst, unbelievable hide and seek game that I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It's like, I don't know, was this series shot in like the fifties or something? Where, <laughs> where the hide and seek is just awful, and where you know, back in the fifties, like people used to just believe that shit because um, suspension of disbelief wasn't like as challenging as it is today right right okay <laughs> so you know they'd believe anything back in the 50s or the 60s i'm uh, watching this scene i'm like really like that's how you're gonna hide behind certain things yeah um, it's like he, he jumps on the well right like and he's and he's making all this noise <laughs> it's kind of funny that they break their own rules like he makes a oh and the and the, and the orc turns around but then he comes and like <laughs> orc doesn't want turn around and then there's a scene later where an orc stops and starts smelling. So clearly orcs can mm. smell children, but then mm. he's hiding in like tall grass mm. and the orcs don't see him. And I'm just like, yeah. why would you get out of your way to imply that they can smell if he's going to just break that the next scene? Mm. 
because um, it's not convenient. That's why. <laughs> yeah, but I think like the fact uh, when he's about to get his arm cut off, I think that was kind of cool. Like the slow motion and the late save from Aaron Deer. Like you caught it, but um, yeah, it was cool. It was well done. Oh, one thing that I did want to talk about in that scene. So they, they have that part right where they're um escaping you know he's like, he's like you know shooting arrows and running away and mm-hmm. there's like a lot of slow motion i feel like the the classic lord of the rings movies right they do slow motion whenever someone's doing like a heroic death right right like boromir has a shitload of slow motion um mm-hmm. frodo when he gets stabbed does a fair bit of slow motion mm-hmm. and i'm like okay cool that makes sense because someone dies and it's very harrowing but if you're just gonna do like a ton of slow motion for a bunch of people who survive <laughs> it just it felt weirdly slow. I started getting frustrated. Like, how are the orcs so bad at aiming? Like, mm-hmm. he's just crawling along. They're just standing there looking oh, yeah, at Didn't I make a comment about how they're stormtroopers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, it's like, I don't know. I felt like that did not need slow motion. Like, if they're going to escape, why not have it be fast and action-packed and you can like, right. sort of feel that, that pressure? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was that. Uh, the whole sun saving them... There's no way to write them out of that, but I kind of hate how powerful the sun is against these orcs. Right. Because it just makes the orcs seem, honestly, kind, kind of, of useless. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're not particularly... But uh, orcs, are not, orcs are not supposed to be, like, super scary. I mean, they're supposed to be scary on appearance, but they're not supposed to be physically that threatening. I mean, some of them do present, like, some good challenge physically. The, the average human, they sh- like, it's like sort of like generic human, orc should win. Mm-hmm. Um, army human, I still think orc should win, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, like they don't have any elves. I mean, they've got one elf, but he's like maybe one elf can take on like four of them. If you go with the Hobbit movies, one of them, one elf can take on twenty five of them. But my guess, my guess is like Adar is like this hardcore fighter. He's like this hard out like weapon oh, master or something. Be, you know what has I mean? To be. Hey, <laughs> and big it, boss has to be the best. Big boss, yeah. You get to the last boss. Um. <clears throat> So yeah, in Eric Eregian. Yeah. How do you pronounce this? Eregian? Eregian, Eregian. The elves and dwarves are working together the Alfland, yeah. Um yeah. on the forge. Calibrimbor is unsettled by Durin the Fourth's secrecy lately and sends Auron to investigate Auron's Alan finds out Durin has been mining in the old mine below the Mittermeer. After Durin swears Alrond to secrecy, he reveals that the dwarves have discovered a new ore, Mithril. Yeah. And, and I think it was at this point where I was like, oh, Mithril! Yeah, you were into that. I mean, I was into that too. Like, the idea, like it's kind of funny. Like, I do complain that like this wasn't that exciting a revelation, but at the same time, it is kind of cool to have throwbacks. Whenever they throw back to something, you're like, I know this thing! <laughs> it's a good throwback. I mean, it's it's mm. nice when you come across like nuggets from familiarity. You know, the tranquility of familiarity is, is definitely something to be yeah, spoken it's, about. It's the joy in a prequel. You know what I mean? Like when when Darth Vader shows up in Rogue One, you're like, I know this dude. So that was the best reveal. Man. <laughs> yeah, it was a great. That reveal. was the best reveal. Maybe we should do a Rogue One review. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch that again. Um. Yeah. So. We discover that this whole secrecy that the dwarves have been hiding um, it has all been built up to this uh, to them discovering a new ore, which is basically just a new metal, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's it's mithril, and you'd know mithril if you remember. Um, re- no, Fellowship of the Ring was it Fellowship of the yeah, Ring. Yeah, it's Frodo's uh, Frodo's uh, mesh. Mesh. I was going to say mesh. Mesh vest. It is a mesh vest. Mesh vest. Um, and he uses it uh, in protection um, when he gets stabbed by one of the orcs. Yeah, um, under the troll. In the troll, in the troll cave. Oh, sorry, it's the troll, yeah, the troll that stabs him. Um, and that's in the troll cave, uh, which yeah. is called in Moria. the Mind of Moria. Yeah. You know, it's actually kind of crazy. Um, I know, and I don't know if this is actually the same thing, but it would be kind of cool if it is. Um, in the Mines of Moria, remember how, like, the, the dwarf Gimli is like, oh, we, we, we mined too deep. And you know we un like we unlocked um, a whole bunch of mine orcs and they ruined us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
if mithril is the thing that actually causes them to do that, that would be a kind of cool throwback. Yeah, it could be. I wonder if they're going to do a lot with this this uh, new discovery because it's you know it's a piece of prop that everybody's familiar with and. In the Lord of the Rings movie, at least. It, it could be different in the book. But in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, there isn't a lot to be said about the Mithril vest, other than the fact that it protects them from, like, knives, knives or swords. It does real well, though. Like, it does real well. But, you know, there's there's not a big deal about it. If, if, if Yeah, sense, I catch right? what you mean. Yeah, it's like, here it is, and it saves you Here it once. is, and that's about it, really. It's kind yeah. of the same thing as, like, here's this blue sword. Actually, the blue sword, like has a lot more fame or has a lot more um, of a presence yeah, more like depth behind it. You know, like the blue sword was instrumental in him, like surviving the orc raids because every time I'm calling it a blue sword, but it's not a blue sword. You know what I mean? It's the sword it's that the... lights up blue. No, it lights up blue. Remember like when yeah, orcs are around the name, I think is sting the name of the sword. Yeah. Okay. Think so. Mm-hmm. Are you secretly are you like a closet Al Tolkien fan? You just not telling me this. I watch the movies, man. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, Kelly Brimble. Hey, that one is like secret. Well, not secret, but man, those games are good. I recommend it. Shadow of War, fantastic game. Okay. But yeah, like I think if that's like sort of the the mineral that the dwarves use to ruin themselves, I think it's kind of cool to see that ahead of time. Yeah. Um, I thought this scene was like, like personally, I think we've talked about this a few times. Like, the dwarf, the the Durin Elrond relationship is fun, and I enjoy watching it. Like, it's just it's cool the best chemistry see. on the screen. It's yeah, the yeah, best chemistry for sure. It's like Easy. it's like it's fun. It's cool when um, Durin is like angry at his dad, and Elrond like talks him down. I kind of feel like you know you get a real sense of what these guys have gone through together and how much they care for each other. And mm-hmm. even though there's like a lot of distrust. Um, they still care about you know their best interests and all that. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting at the end when he says, "Do you trust Elrond?" and Durin's like, "No," because mm-hmm. that seems to go against the last fifteen minutes. But you know, overall, I enjoyed the scene a lot. For sure, yeah, it's a good scene. Always good to see those two on screen, and I always look oh. forward to them every time we jump into a new episode. Um, but it's interesting that there is like the the relationship that they have. It's still kind of on. It still feels like they're sort of walking on glass, you know what I mean? Like around each yeah. other. It's like there's there's a bit of sort of secrecy and and there's sort of a lack of trust that they have, but it's kind of part of their relationship. So it's it's an interesting dynamic, I think, because they what we get, or at least what I get, is that they genuinely care for each other, right? Genuinely mm. care for each other's safety, well being, all that good stuff. And th- like I guess the two races the dwarf race and the Alvin race is almost like is almost sitting on the shoulders of these two characters in order for them mm. to kind of come in harmony. If that makes sense. It's almost like the legal, the Legolas and Gimli relationship. However, the, the elves and the dwarves, I think even at that point of the Lord of the Rings or middle of story, like they're all good. Right. If, if I'm not, no, mistaken. I think they hate but each other. Of them? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing, right? Like Gimli and, and Legolas are like, oh, yeah, yeah, the modern yeah, day yeah, version yeah. Sure. of Elrond and Durin yeah. because yeah. they and hate so the, each other. The, 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 yeah. The two races still kind of hate each other. Right. It kind right. of is interesting. Actually, now that you mentioned that, I feel like possibly something happens here. Um, yeah. Maybe the demise of their relationship, maybe the collapse of their relationship influences a thousand year legacy generation of them hating each other. Yeah. That actually seems reasonable, and I think it's going to be cool to see. Yeah, it's true. Um, so moving on from um, this scene, so the mine collapses and Durin rushes off to save the dwarves trapped in it. Um, this is kind of crazy. It's like, where do the dwarves go from here now? And it seems like, um, like I mean, the whole city didn't collapse, right? It's just the mine, I think, that collapsed. Just the single mind of Mithril. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I, I wonder, like, how is Mithril gonna, you know, like, where where in the series is gonna pop up? Is it gonna pop up in like two episodes down the line? And what kind of instrumental, um, uh, what do you call it? Not behavior. What what kind of how how <laughs> how instrumental is it gonna be for the progression of like this kind of subplot? Because it seems like the Mithril story is important to the dwarves and the elf slash just our own uh, story. Yeah. 
I think it's going to be cool. I mean, I have a feeling that they're going to open up the mine again. But it's kind of uh, engaging, this plotline. Because, like, you know, you've got now Duran going in as a spy on something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Halbrand suggested to Gladriel to help Muriel master her fear, with which Gladriel identifies to be regarding Muriel's, uh, Muriel's father, King Ta Palantir. Jeez, these oh, his names. name is Palantir. Palantir. Mm. That sounds a little bit like Palpatine. Nah, isn't Palantir <laughs> like the uh, the actual balls? I have no the, idea. The vision stones? See, you are that. a closet, JR. Tolkien. It's <laughs> in the episode, man. <laughs> I can't remember them like giving a name to the. Um, no, nah, even ball. in even in this, the, the if you look at the end of the the, the um, paragraph, you're looking at <clears> gotcha. Palantir. Palantir. Did he name the balls after himself, or did he name himself after the balls? Well, I think there's a lot of things that are named after certain things, right? Like, I mean, especially like, um, uh, what do you call it? Elendil. Yeah, Elendil was named. Elf Lover. Yeah, Elf Lover. And that's named after, that's uh, what the light is called, Light of Elendil. I missed him. He's a cool character, and he's not in this very much. No, I think he's just like in the beginning of the, the episode, where he's trying to be the diplomatic person. Like, yeah. side-by-side side with uh, Galadriel and Muriel. Um, yes, yeah, so... The Queen Regent orders to have Galadriel deported with an armed escort to Middle-earth the same night, but Galadriel escapes to the King's Tower. Galadriel breaks into the tower to find the King in ill health. Muriel learns that the King has cooped, or was cooped as he wanted to renew relations with the elves, resulting in a violent rebellion. And Muriel ruling in his stead, to bring stability. Muriel shows Galadriel her vision of the downfall of Numenor in a palantir. Yeah, I actually forgot about the scene where she shows her the vision yeah. through the palantir. I totally forgot about that. Um, I mean, overall, I think this shows Muriel, good queen, cares about her people, mm-hmm. um, not evil at all. Yep. I don't know. Pretty basic stuff. Yeah, pretty basic stuff. Nothing groundbreaking. I mean, it's kind of further establishing you know, her, her vision and her... Like you know, what her what are her responsibilities after knowing such and, visions, and what is sort of driving her actions? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I reckon like what's driving her actions really is that she wants to protect her father at all costs. Yeah. I, I I sort of get the impression that it's less about the people and it's more about protecting the king. Oh, um, really? Okay. Mm, uh, I don't know why I get that. I think it's because it's got something to do with. Like, I could be completely wrong here, but I, I feel like it's just got something to do with the fact that she's been hiding um she's been hiding like the uh, like the well-being of her father for so long and there's maybe something like i think her father is plays a big role in some capacity to do with whatever agenda she could be hiding i don't know i could be looking into it way too much and being a complete conspiracy (laughs) theorist but um nothing has really proven she hasn't done anything right now to prove that she's a person that cares a lot about her people other than the fact that um like she's said a few things about her people you know yeah i mean she says like you know oh you have this goal you have this dream or something but you can't hang a whole civilization on it or something like that um i think there's like elements of both i still think she cares about the people because like her biggest fears are the wave taking out all of numenor not just Mm -hmm. that right Mm -hmm. um but i don't know you're right i think that's probably both could be yeah or it could be just like trying to make things up in my mind just to make it a bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're one of those people, like, you know how Homer makes like, like <laughs> movies in his head as he's watching boring movies? <laughs> like, how did he know he was the killer the whole time? Did you, <laughs> did you just compare me to a Simpsons episode? <laughs> yeah, man. God damn it. That's hilarious. Uh um <laughs> so Theo is rescued by Arendir, who flees out of a forest into a sunlit clearing, um, preventing the orcs from pursuing them further. Um when they attack oh sorry, when they arrive back at Ostidith, Wildrug reveals to Theo that he's a servant of Sauron. An orc tells Adir the sword is an on to So like quickly it's funny because 
you know when this attack from the orcs happened with um Theo and we're both kind of riding on and the slow this, yeah the slow mo stuff we're both riding on this idea oh I hope Theo dies in this episode I hope he does oh <laughs> yeah man we, I was <laughs> it's like get rid of him get rid of him but then like I even said to you I was like oh I can just feel it right now he's going to be saved by Arundir because it we know that like he's going right after oh, yeah happened right after that we know that he's going back well he was actually on his way back to Southlands but but of course he's going to stop off in the town where he was like where he knows that the people that he cares about is in that town. So he's going to stop off there, do a little bit of a ticket tour, um, and be the savior of the day when it comes to mm. bringing this. Like, this it was a here. cool scene. I just wish the kid died. <laughs> that seems okay. I think it's actually well lit too. Um, you, you can always have a bit of a problem like doing nice sequences, especially if there's, if there's a lot of action, a lot of choreography, and there's a lot of use of like light, you know, in this sense. The the main light source is, is fire on sticks, right? What do you yeah. call those things? Torches. Torches. <laughs> Fires on sticks. Stick fire. Stick fire. That's what they called them back in the day, stick fire. <laughs> um, but you know, like the main light source is fire, so it's always really tricky to light these kind of scenes, and especially when you have a lot of bodies moving in sporadic ways through fire choreography and a lot of nudging and pushing and all that kind of stuff. So I actually thought, they did a really good job with this night scene. I can't remember if they've done many of these kind of night scenes before, but for some reason this one's stuck in my head because I was like, oh, I think the cinematographer and the lighter did a really good job in this. <laughs> hey, cool. No, I, I thought it was a good-looking scene as well. I, mean, I, talked, I touched on it earlier, but like watching him sort of escape, you, you, I felt that tension. Hmm. Yeah, there's tension. As- and when you have really well-lit night sequences, it adds to that suspension. It adds to mm. that kind of tension as well because you know, you know, like – if you're fighting in the dark and you're running away from monsters, of course it's going to be way more scary at night than it is during the day. So really well shot. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, like we don't have that many action scenes in this movie, in this show, but the ones that they do have seem to be pretty good so mm-hmm. far. And then this is like followed quickly by that, the slow-mo scene, which kind of reminds all of us of the Fellowship of the Ring scene. When the, it's when the Fellowship starts to break up, they're in the yeah. forest. Legolas is like being a beast, you know, like, just slinging all those arrows, just murdering everybody. And I actually thought that Aaron Deere was going to do the same kind of thing, but he kind of gets a little bit owned, doesn't he? He just, no, he doesn't get owned, but he's just well, like shooting random arrows and, they're and kind of like going slowly. <laughs> I mean, like most of them hit, I think, but um, there's a few misses he's, though. He's done a lot of flips, so I'm surprised there was zero flips in mm-hmm. uh, this, this fight scene in hindsight. <laughs> And then, it, and then it comes to this part, which is the most annoying part of the of the episode. It's you know what I'm talking about, right? Say it. It's it's when the sun appears like within seconds. I'm like, right? Oh, yeah, you oh, hated dude. that. You hated what that. What is this? It's like there is a, there is such a thing as suspension of disbelief. We all know this. We all mm. every single film person or even a non film person, we understand what suspension of disbelief is. You can't tell me that like this applies to this sequence. Like this, the sequence was just so rubbish. I, I can't believe like they come out of the forest and the sun is like coming up, and then like within seconds, like two seconds, the it's sun is like washed with light. Yeah, like the sun is like twelve p.m. I'm like, oh man, you guys, this is terrible. Why would you even do a scene like this? And and I get it. Like the whole thing was at night, and they had to find a way to like sort of hurry up the scene, and and the only way to break tension and break loose from the orcs was to have sunlight mm. but then at the same time you're kind of like trashing on your own rules because I, I think we spoke about this right we spoke about the fact that well it seems like the orcs are like um very very fearful and like allergic to the sun but then there are some parts of other episodes where they're just out in the sun anyway so it's like yeah like don't forget when uh, he comes up to attack the kid and the and the and the wife mm. the kid and the, and the mum sorry it's mm. during daytime. Like I know he's inside a house, so it, it's probably not that. But the sun is up. The sun's in the sky, so it's, it's like such a terrible time to do this activity. Yeah. So I, I go don't... out reading. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's like they're breaking their own rules. It's 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 kind of weird. Like you break the consistency, and then mm. you break like character. Um, you, you break character, I guess, on all the all the Yorks. It's like, well, I guess we don't really know what the rules are with Orcs. Like sometimes <laughs> they they're allergic to sun. Sometimes they're not. But then in the yeah. most convenient times when when our main characters have to flee from the orcs and there has to be something that kind of breaks that tension, the sun is up and they're all allergic again. So I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is this piece of directing here? Who made these and, choices? And it's another one of those things that I don't like where the main character survives just by sheer luck. 
Um, mm-hmm. I would prefer it if some. What do you mean, Sherlock, killed. dude? The sun always comes up after 24 hours. Yeah, Wait, but like. Not after 24 hours, after. Um, <laughs> eight 12, hours. technically, I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. 12, yeah. But, like, it's just. I don't know. I, I would much prefer it if they. Like, you know, this happened to Galadriel. She just survives through sheer luck. She was doing a dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, this is not a dumb thing, but, like, it'd be cool if they hid up in the trees. <laughs> I don't know. Something. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Terrible scene. One of the most terrible... No. Is it one of the most, the most terrible, terrible. Scenes? Like, I don't know. But it's uh, up there. It's, it's just a little bit... One of bit, the most... It like, has logical. to be the half the foot. It has to include them. Although the half foot story is the most boring part of the whole series. And that's... Yeah. Like, that's saying a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, jeez. All right. Okay, let's move on. Um, during the fourth is outraged at his father for shutting down and sealing the mithril mines after the mine collapse. Upon being given advice from Auron, the two reconcile. Durin the third suspects that the elves are up to something and tells Durin the fourth to go to Linden to investigate. So hopefully like, you know, in the next episode we get to see where Durin goes, Durin the fourth goes. Um, we get to see this place called Linden or London, Linden. Fake London. Yeah. Fake London. Called London. Yeah. It's London it's spelled be, with an I instead of an It's going to be beautiful. So it's got to be fake London. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you go there, goes there to investigate. We're going to probably see that in the next episode or episode six. Galadriel departs from uh, the departs from Middle-earth, but upon doing so, petals start to fall from the white trees, an omen that signif- signifies the tears of the Valar. Upon seeing this... Muriel decides to personally escort Galadriel to Middle-earth and assist the men of the Southlands. Halbrand chooses to stay in Numenor, uh, Isildur, Valendil, and... Oh, man, these names, man. I, I'm sick of pronouncing them. <laughs> Isildur and his mates. Yeah, Isildur and his mates. Yeah, there we go. Volunteer to join the expedition force to the Southlands. So there's a lot of momentum that happens in the story like it picks up quite a bit in the last like five minutes of the of this episode, yeah. which, is, which is actually probably the the best efforts i've done to progress the story apart from maybe the previous episode where the last the last episode was like a bit of a cliffhanger to reveal who adar is yeah um, but this is like I the think- best pro- progression right we've had so far in the story everything up till now has been just sort of laying groundwork and like um, it's been okay. It's been slow. And so these last five minutes are like great to see something start to yeah, pick there's up. Movement. Like, there is movement oh, and there is man. like, there's an objective to the movement. And that objective is like, we need to get to middle, middle earth. Right. That's the whole point. It's kind of funny in the, in the way that like, and there are also things that are like probably questionable from a character point of view, but like I've just grown to accept some of mm-hmm. those fantasy tropes. Like the, the queen is using this tree as an omen and she's going to change <clears> the entire decision making based off that. Mm-hmm. I kind of mentioned that earlier. It sounds a little bit crazy. Probably you don't want to have that in the rule, but you know, whatever. It's fantasy. You accept that. That's One thing true. that I hated about this scene um, was the fact that um, Isildur is not the first person to put his hand up. Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah, the guy we spoke about that, right? Yeah, we, I think doing... we're both expe- expecting him to be like, "Yeah, I'm going to be the first to," because it kind of it sets a sets up his character for the future Isildur that we well that we not not that we meet in the Rings trilogy, but the kind of um, figurehead that we imagine him to be, right? Well, the interesting thing with Isildur is, actually, I don't know how heroic he actually is. I know that, like, he cuts the ring off, he wins that war, mm-hmm. he puts the ring on his... Uh, he takes the ring, and he kind of... He lets, he lets it kind of corrupt him a fair bit, and yep. then he gets just murdered randomly, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe he's just not that responsible a guy, and in which case, like, this makes sense. Well, we definitely don't see him being a responsible guy. Like just in the brief moments that we see him in in a flashback in Return of the uh, sorry, uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, um, like you definitely want to watch that again because like if he's actually not a responsible guy, like he's not this honorable king, he's just a guy who got a lucky swipe. Yeah. Then the Isildur we're seeing now, like that tracks. If that all makes sense, because mm. yeah, he just like he sees his friends say hello. He likes his friends, so he's like, okay, I'm gonna join too. Yeah, but I think he's a pretty honorable character prior to him being corrupted by the ring because because there's there's all this fuss about um uh what's his name Aragorn. <laughs> there's all yeah. this fuss about Aragorn being the son of uh, Isildur, right? Like, or the 
the descendant of Isildur. Descendant, like, right? isn't he son of Arathorn? Who yeah, something like that. that. But you know, he comes from the bloodline of um, of, of the uh, kings. Uh, yeah, of the king, and the king's always made up to be like this heroic guy because he ended the war. So, so even though he has imperfections to him, which is the fact that he got corrupted by the ring, but but who hasn't been? Um, yeah, that's fair. You know, imperfect Greater when they men get. have failed. Greater yeah, men have failed. <laughs> if he is meant to be heroic, then they missed a chance to show how heroic he was, and for no mm-hmm. real reason. Like, I don't understand why they wouldn't just give, like, you know, the guy saying, hey, who wants to support the queen? Everyone's quiet. They don't want to risk their lives. Totally sure. fair. The mm-hmm. kid puts the hand up, and then everyone's like, okay, I'll do it too because this guy's so brave. Yeah, like, maybe, maybe, maybe they're just like, you know, throwing him down and, until they can build him back up. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, to be fair, actually, having... I mean, it's it's on brand for this show mm-hmm. to have... Um, to not have a guy, <laughs> to not have a character get brought down and brought back up in a single episode. Right. It's on brand. They take well, in their the, time. In the, yeah, they, they're slow, man. This is a sh- slow, slow show. It's a very, very slow show. It's funny because, like... Um, all the reviews that I've read so far, they're all saying the same thing. They're all sharing the same kind of uh, uh, criticism, which is the slow that the show is incredibly slow and it's losing a lot of viewers. It'd be interesting to see what the ratings are at the moment in terms of viewership. Yeah. Um, I wonder if their viewership has actually dropped like since it started. Um, and maybe the only ones that are hanging on there are the diehard Tolkien fans, you know? Well, which there should be a lot of them out there, I guess. Because like, I feel like it's yeah. kind of funny. In my head, like the slowest show I've ever seen in my life is The Wire. Right. This oh, is... the one with um Idris Elba. Oh, wait, yeah, is that Idris yeah, yeah. It is, it is Idris Elba. Yeah. yeah, that's how he yeah. became came an in for himself, right? Exactly. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Sh- slow as hell. Um, I never saw it, but every like I mm. heard a lot of people saying that it was quite good. It's fantastic, but like, look, realistically for me today, I couldn't do it. Like I can't do it today. Right. Well, there's and no I chance that sh- I'm going to watch it then. <laughs> oh, really? Do you, do you have like a attention sort of issues? <laughs> no, it's like I, you know, in this day and age, like this, when I make time to watch TV series and when I make time to watch movies, it's, I feel like that I have to make a concerted effort in decision-making. I have to like, um, the best way to describe it is like, I have to discern more about these decisions when it comes to TV series. Movies is okay. Movies are like two hours. Two right? hours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, the same way. TV series. Like I have to be careful in what I invest myself into because if it's a waste of time, that's why, like, I see the first episode. If the first episode isn't like a killer, yeah, what is it? it doesn't have to be a killer. It has to be something that keeps me interested enough to be like, I want to see what happens in the second episode. Um, so, if there isn't any TV series like that, which is rare nowadays, which is kind of a good thing, I, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. That I don't know if I want to be wowed by every single TV series I come across because I'm never going to have my life. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm never going to have any time to do anything. Right, so. Like, The yeah. Wire is legitimately brilliant, but it's slow, and this is slower. So just right. throwing that out there, anyone who's seen The Wire, this is slower. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, that's the, that's the end of our recap, episode four. Yeah. What do you think, out of ten? Uh, it's, it's hard. Like, okay, the episode by itself, I thought it was good. Um, 7.5? I don't know. Well, look, there's no half-wits. That's mm-hmm. a great plus point. There's a that's fair a bit of yeah. Elrond and Dwarf. Great. It's actually moving at the end. Fantastic. Galadriel is kind of um, she Better. has a, she has a reason for her problems, and so I'm mm-hmm. cool with that. Mm-hmm. So overall, I was like, this is starting to move. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird though. Like realistically, I'm giving it a seven point five in the realm of Rings of Power, but if I could actually be honest and compare it to other TV shows, oh, it's a it's three. Pro- it's probably like. <laughs> I would say it's probably more like a five, but then I have to sort of retroactively move everything else back. So yeah. I've been giving them like sixes and sevens, thinking, it's oh yeah, it's better. Like, because this is better than episode one was. It's better than episode oh, yeah. two was. So realistically, mm-hmm. I have to give it higher than what I gave two. Sure. That was a seven. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I'd probably give it a seven. Seven, maybe. I don't know if I'll give it a 7.5, but I'll give it a seven. Um... I think we're kind of on the same page with that rating. So yeah, let's do seven then. And I agree with your points as well. Like I think um, the ending, especially the ending, especially like has good momentum to it. It's moving somewhere. We know that the story has something more to offer other than the fact that we're dancing around to kind of maybe discover what happens in the next episode. But I love the fact that there's momentum. Now we're going to pick up a bit more speed. Hopefully in episode five, we get 
way more speed, right? And oh. like, there's there's sort of a concerted effort to develop the characters a bit more, and you know, all that kind Realistically, of stuff. Realistically, so. though, it's um the half is going to come back, so hmm. I think it's going to slow down again. Yeah. All right. But well, yeah. I guess that comes to the episode. End of the episode. Thanks for man. joining. joining we failed uh, our time again. limit, man. We failed our time limit. Oh, uh, this. <laughs> yeah. This happens, man. This happens. It's all for Every the love time. of uh, expressing passion towards uh, this medium that we all love. This is true. It's the positive. The grammar is positive. positive. <laughs> but cool, cool. Take Thanks away. so much, man. Thanks so much for joining the episode. Thanks. And thank you to everybody listening. If you're the first time here, make sure you hit the bell button so you know when the next episode drops. Um, take a look at our social handles. You'll find them in the show notes. And we'll see everybody in the next episode. Bye-bye. Cool. See ya. Yeah.